0: Good morning, VRVC. I am so happy to see you. I come to church on spring break, spring forward Sunday with a lot of low expectations. And then I enter a room like, oh, there's a person, there's a, look at there. there's another person, another person. So, so, so happy to see your faces. So uh, glad so many of you are joining us online today as we continue the series called Follow. I want to ask you a question a uh, history question. How many of you have ever heard of something called the Blue Laws? Ah, lots of old hands are being raised in the air. Well, as best I was able to research, uh, the, the, the Blue Laws dates back to the 1700s. Puritan Christian governmental leaders in Connecticut would print out all these things that citizens were prohibited from doing On the Sabbath and when I speak of Sabbath for Jews that's that Saturday for Christians it is for most Christians it is it is Sunday and these prohibitions included things like you couldn't buy stuff you couldn't sell stuff you couldn't travel long distances you there there was no public entertainment uh, there were no sports and these restrictions were printed and on blue paper and posted everywhere And so these laws became known as the Blue Laws. Now, I knew about Blue Laws when I was a kid. Blue Laws, to some degree, were were enforced. And I thought they were called Blue Laws because they made kids sad and blue for all the things you couldn't do on Sunday, like go to movies or go to the roller skate rink or whatever. Well, these days, very few retail outlets or restaurants are closed on Sunday. Um, Sunday is one of the more popular days for sporting events. And if I've learned anything from learning for, for living in this community for 20 plus years, uh, I have learned that uh, youth sports leagues and scouting troops and dance troops and other organizations have very little concern about our Sabbath traditions over here at 1501 East Beltline Road. And yet, in some places, Sabbath is making something of a comeback. I read recently uh, a column uh, in Vox Magazine, by no means a religious magazine, and the columnist was urging religious conservatives and progressive labor unions to band together in common cause to bring back the blue laws. They were saying, you know, you religious conservatives, you get protection for worship, and we labor unions, we get protection for workers uh, by giving a day off a week. Isn't that interesting? Tiffany Slain is a self-described secular or cultural Jew. She's been featured on uh, the, the Today Show with her best-selling book, 24-6. Anybody get the meaning of the title, 24-6? Instead of this exhausting 24-7 lifestyle, she is arguing as a secular Jew for the wisdom of a Sabbath discipline. And her book lists all these advantages that come to you when you take one day off in seven, like you know, better rest and better sleep and a whole host of benefits. So what are we to make of all this? Well, some people view this Sabbath discipline as woefully outdated. Other people, including non-churchgoers, are are rediscovering it. I mean, what if Chick-fil-A has known something all along, right? Uh, Well, well, I doubt if it's going to surprise anybody in the room that I am theologically pro-Sabbath, okay, Um, even uh, even if I have to confess the many ways that I uh, often fail to observe the Sabbath. But, but beyond the benefits that, that secular people are discovering, I think there are more reasons, deeper reasons, for disciples of Jesus to follow Jesus into this discipline that he practiced, the discipline of Sabbath. In fact, Jesus boldly stated in Mark 2, that the Sabbath was made for men and women. We weren't made to try to conform to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift for us. And so I want to try to show you some of the reasons why we should follow Jesus into the discipline of Sabbath. And so I'd love for you to have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at how Jesus spent one Sabbath day in his hometown of Nazareth. We're going to look at what Jesus does and we're going to ask Jesus to do it again and again and again as we join him in the discipline of Sabbath. So Luke chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. He, meaning Jesus, went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. God bless the reading of his word. If you were with us last week, you may remember that we looked at Jesus' three-round heavyweight battle with the devil in the wilderness and how Jesus responded to each temptation from the devil with the discipline of scripture and obedience. Curiously, last week we saw that it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness to do battle with the evil one. And now... Uh, just a couple of verses before the verse that I started reading at verse 16 and verse 14, it is the Holy Spirit that is empowering Jesus again. Only this time, the Spirit is empowering Jesus not to withdraw to the wilderness, but to engage in ministry in, in a beautiful region of Israel called Galilee. And I find it interesting that Jesus kind of launches his public ministry, if you will, back in his hometown of Nazareth. In his hometown synagogue, think about it. Jesus had sat in those synagogue pews hundreds of times, hundreds of Sabbath days, right? But now he is facing those pews. And there's some insights that we find on this particular Sabbath day in Nazareth that have led me to to examine a really important question, and that is why, right? Why follow Jesus into the discipline of Sabbath. Why follow Jesus into the discipline of Sabbath? Maybe some of you are thinking, Larry, there's a really clear answer to that question. It's in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment specifically, which says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Really, the, the Sabbath day is not about uh, one day. In a sense, it's about seven days. That, that six days, we will, we will labor to do the most important things and to fit those into six. And then on the seventh day, we shall rest. I think it's interesting that long before Jesus came to planet earth, God's word made a compelling case for a 24-6 lifestyle. And I think what we learn in this passage is that Jesus is going to help us go deeper into the why of the Sabbath. Why the Sabbath? We can say it's one of the Ten Commandments and we're certainly correct, but but how can we go deeper? Why did God give us this commandment which is also a gift? Why follow Jesus into the Sabbath? I think the first thing that I want us to see is that Jesus in leading us into the Sabbath is leading us into a life-changing discipline. The Sabbath can change your life. In other words, the Sabbath was never designed to be one of those no fun, grin and bear it, take your medicine kind of religious tasks. The Sabbath is not one of those kind of Jewish holdover rituals like animal sacrifice and kosher foods that that Jesus retired for us when he came to earth. No, there's something that stands out for me in verse 16 that's really important. I want us to look at the whole verse. It says that Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. I think this is a really interesting word. The Greek word is um, uh, ethos, which we get our word uh, ethos or ethics from. This was the, the ethos of Jesus. This was part of the ethical makeup of Jesus. This was the custom of Jesus. You know, as human beings, there is a sense that we are what we repeatedly do, right, from a, from a character standpoint. What's your character? Well, what is it that you do over and over again? Jesus, over and over and over again, observed the Sabbath. Now, why? Why was this his custom? Or maybe to ask it a little differently, why did God establish Sabbath in the first place? I think to answer that, we have to go back to the kind of root meaning of Sabbath. The root meaning of of, of the word Sabbath means to rest. It means to cease. If you go back to the the earliest verses of the book of Genesis, you'll see that that God did these six days of labor, amazing labor. He created the, the world, and late into the sixth day, he created human beings. And then it says that God finished his work, And he rested from all his labor. And so that seventh day became a day for God to just look out and enjoy all that he has made. That seventh day, a day of rest, a day of enjoyment of what God has given us. You ever had that experience where you're taking an exam, there are a lot of essay questions, uh, you have a lot to say, you're not sure if what you say is right, so you just keep writing and keep writing and keep writing, and maybe that there'll be some nugget of truth in these long essays, and you're writing, 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 and then the teacher, the professor says, okay, put down your pencils. No, I mean it, put down your pencils. I know some of you would just continue to write all afternoon, put down your pencils, The the Sabbath is a put-down-your-pencil kind of day. Yes, there's more that you could write. There's more that you could do. But this is a day to stop. Not because necessarily your to-do list is finished. Not necessarily because your work is done. But because God says to stop. It's a day to rest. There's a second kind of Old Testament biblical reason for the Sabbath. And that is not only is it a day of rest. It's also a day of reflection. You see in the book of Deuteronomy... Moses is preaching a series of sermons, preparing the people for freedom in the promised land. And he tells them that they need to continue to keep the Sabbath. Now, Moses is speaking largely to children of Egyptian slaves. And for children of Egyptian slaves, there was, or for Egyptian slaves, children of Israel in in, in slavery in Egypt, there was no such thing as a Sabbath. Life was 24/7. life was 24 365. It was all work, no break but but god wants israel to remember her salvation so to speak when god saved the nation and brought them through the red sea and into freedom one of the ways that that we Uh, celebrate the Sabbath is by viewing it as a day of reflection and celebration on all that God has done for us. In fact, in Exodus chapter 16, uh, when God would rain down manna, he gave uh, this special kind of bread to feed the people. He gave very specific instructions that the day before the Sabbath, they were to to gather two X. They were to gather twice as much manna, make their manna casseroles on the day before the Sabbath, and then on the Sabbath day to rest and to eat And enjoy. Now, one of the things that's interesting when you get to the New Testament is that those earliest Christians said, you know what? We want to commemorate the day that Jesus rose from the dead every week. And so they essentially moved the Sabbath. They didn't abolish the Sabbath, they just moved the Sabbath day to Sunday so that every Sunday is a celebration that Christ is risen. We sang, resurrecting me. Every Sunday is a day of rest. And also of celebration. Jesus gives us this custom, if you will. Now the question I want to ask is, is, how are we doing on that? And I realize I'm speaking to people in all different kinds of situations. I know that most of us have Email, all of us have lives, some of us have kids, some of us have to work on Sundays. Uh, you know, I know that uh, j- just because uh the Bible says Sabbath, it's not like you can just sort of put your kids in a corner for 24 hours, right? Your your toddlers. And then I'm thinking about, you know, life situations. I mean, boy, even as I, I've prepared for the sermon to think about how how terrifying life is in places like Ukraine, where there is no rest, right? It is nonstop terror. I know we come from really different places, but I want to ask the question: Is there a sense in which you, one in seven, unplug? If you think of your life as a computer with all these different tabs open and emails and spreadsheets and documents and and uh, you know all kind of inputs. Uh, and that fan is going, and the little twirling hourglass is happening. Is there a sense where if your life is a computer that one day a week, you just unplug it, right? Uh, and and, and you, let the, the, you, know, you let yourself cool down before you plug in again. Or are you one of those that says if everybody else gathers manna six days a week, but I gather manna seven days a week, I can produce 16% more, if I'm doing my math right, than everybody else. I can get ahead and get ahead and get ahead. The Sabbath is a day for us to ask, what is the race that we're running and never stopping? What is the prize we're pursuing It's been several years ago now that I used a a, a sermon illustration that I'd heard and I've had some of you refer to it. uh, And uh, I wanted to share it again uh, because I think it's really thought-provoking. American investment banker is vacationing uh, in a small coastal village in Mexico. And he sees a small boat and a a fisherman and uh, he looks inside the boat and he sees these beautiful, several beautiful large yellowfin tuna. And he compliments the, the fisherman on his catch uh, he asked him how long it took him to catch the fish. And he says, I don't know, a couple hours. And, and, uh, and, and the American says, well, why didn't you stay out longer and catch more fish? And he says, I, I've got enough here to meet my family's needs. And then the American says, well, what do you do with the rest of your time? And he says, oh, I, I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my kids, I take siestas with my wife, I stroll into the village every evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a, I have a, have a full and busy life. And the American investment banker kind of scoffed. And he said, look, I have a Harvard MBA, I could help you. He said, you should begin by spending more time fishing, catch more fish, more proceeds. Use the proceeds to buy a bigger boat and then catch more fish. And then with the proceeds of that, you could buy several boats. you'll, You'll have a fleet of fishing boats And then instead of selling your catch to a middleman like you do now, you could sell directly to a processor. You could eventually if, if you play your car drive, you work hard at it, you could eventually open up your own fishing cannery, and then you control the product, you control processing, you control distribution. You, you, now, you would need to leave the small fishing, coastal fishing village and uh, maybe move to Mexico City and then eventually to Los Angeles, and then, of course, you'd want to end up in New York City, and you would run your expansive enterprise. Fisherman says, how long do you think all that would take? I don't know, the banker said, 15, 20 years. Fisherman said, what then? The banker said, that's the best part. Then, when the time is right, you announce an IPO, you sell your company's stock, you become very rich, you make millions. Millions, the fisherman says. And then what? The American says, well, then you'd retire. Maybe you'd move to a small coastal fishing village. You could sleep late, fish a little. You could play with your kids. You could take siestas with your wife. You could stroll in the village in the evening. You can sip wine, play guitar with your amigos, right? Sometimes, friends, sometimes like that fisherman, right, we need to look at relentless activity and ask why. (laughs) Why exactly are we doing this? What are we trying to get to? And then what? And then what? And then what? Jesus had a custom of ceasing, of resting, of reflecting, of feasting, of thanking God for his many blessings. He had a rhythm. Do we? Now, as I mentioned, many secular influencers are rediscovering this uh, discipline, this 24-6 24-6 lifestyle. It's not odd for me to read a, a secular blogger talk about a technology Sabbath, right? It, it is becoming popular. But I want you to know that as important as rest is, God has even more value for us in the discipline of Sabbath. Because rightly understood, Sabbath, the true Sabbath, helps us follow Jesus not only into rest, but beyond rest, Jesus leads us into a life altering direction, not just a life-altering discipline, but a life-altering direction. You see, as we mentioned earlier, you know, many people see the Sabbath as a time for celebration, for feasting, for giving thanks for God's bounty. It certainly is. It certainly is. But I think what we see in Luke 4 is another kind of feasting, if you will, and that is a feasting on the Word of God. In other words, for Jesus, Sabbath is not a day of staying in bed, right? Synagogue worship was his custom. And God's word was a central part of synagogue worship, as it is for our worship each Sunday. Now, this synagogue worship service probably included prayer, reading or readings from the Old Testament, and then a sermon on one of the passages that was read. Now, I want you to see the attention that's given to God's word in our passage Luke tells us that Jesus stood up to read. That was a a mark of respect. Rabbis would teach sitting down, but when it was time to read the scripture, he he stood up. Some scholars believe that Nazareth was a a poorer synagogue, and so they they wouldn't have a a full set of scrolls. Sometimes I marvel at at my access to to God's word, uh, where so many people in Jesus' day lacked access to the, the full teaching of God. So Nazareth wouldn't have had, you know, roll, uh, scrolls from, from Genesis to Malachi, right? Uh, but they did have an Isaiah scroll, and so one of the synagogue leaders brings out this Isaiah scroll. In fact, uh, look, look at verse 17. It says, "And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written." I want you to picture this. Jesus has this big Isaiah scroll in his hand, right? And uh, presumably no markings, no chapters or verses, but because he knows God's word so well, he can kind of unroll, unfurl. He can find that exact place, that right spot that he wants to share with the people. Like a chef, Jesus is going to serve up just the right dish for people waiting to hear from him. Now, I know I'm a Bible nerd, I know that, uh, but but I just love the reverence that is given to God's word in, the, in this passage. The standing, the unfolding, the searching, the waiting, the listening. It makes me think of the many times I've been to the DFW National Cemetery near Mountain Creek Lake and... Many times I've presided over uh, the service, the graveside service of a veteran, and uh, the part that always moves me so deeply is the the presentation of the flag. How many of you have ever seen that before? Oh yeah, many of you. I mean, the the, the flag is is lifted with such care and folded so tightly, you know, and 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 folded into a triangle, and and you know these these. Soldiers or, 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 or sailors or whoever, they're, 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 they're marching so carefully. And then there's always that moment where the flag is presented to a widow or widower or to a son or a daughter. And there's this kneeling and the solemn presentation on behalf of a grateful nation. I mean, it, it gets me every time. There, there is never a sense... When I'm at that uh, DFW National Cemetery, there's never a sense where we do the little graveside service and then soldiers say, hey, by the way, there's a flag for you. Don't forget the flag on your way out. Right? Never. There's always such a sense of dignity, something approaching, you could almost say, reverence. Friends, how much more Should we receive God's word? Isaiah 40 verse 8 says the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The Sabbath is a time where we receive with deep reverence this gift, this costly gift from God. The Sabbath is a day when we come to church asking, not the preacher, but what is it that Jesus is going to say to us today? Where will Jesus' finger land, in essence? What word does he have for me? You know that guy who says, "Uh, Pastor, I can just as easily worship God out on a bass boat on Sunday mornings as I can at the church house. You know that guy, right? Um, and, and, And he's partly right. He's partly right. He can. Uh, he can celebrate the beauty of God and creation. He can uh, appropriately take a, a day that feels a little different from another day in terms of, of rest and enjoying God's creation. He's partly right. But I want to ask him, what about the word of God shared with the people of God? Jesus brought a word He brought a life-altering word. He juggles the handles of the scroll. He traces his finger down until they rest on Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor now we could preach a whole sermon on those two verses right Uh, I'm just going to hit the highlights but I want you to notice it's it's the it's the spirit of the Lord it's the Holy Spirit again who is empowering Jesus the Holy Spirit is anointing Jesus to share good news everywhere I mean I read these two verses and I almost feel like I'm sitting on the curb on a curb on a parade route and Jesus is on the float and he's just passing out good news like candy everywhere right and, and, he's, and he's throwing out good news for, uh, for those who are poor and feel like they're outsiders to God's grace. And they get God's grace. And to those who are physically and spiritually blind, and they get God's grace, and their eyes are open. And, and those who are imprisoned, held captive by oppression or, or shame or guilt, they're forgiven and they're set free. And then I want you to look at this, this verse 19. What an interesting phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What in the world does that mean? Okay, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I don't know how many of you like math, but I want you to try to follow me here, okay? The Sabbath day is every seventh day. But did you know there was not, not only such thing as a, a Sabbath day, there was also a Sabbath year, every seventh year, and you would kind of let the, the, the ground lie fallow, and you would let the, uh, the, the ground sort of replenish itself, right? And, and then there was a Sabbath of Sabbath years. <laughs> every seventh Sabbath year, how many would that be? 49, right? The year after that, the 50th year, Leviticus 25 says, was to be a year of jubilee, This was to be a year when people were freed from their debts. Indentured servants were set free. The land that had to be sold, like your ancestral land that you had to sell to pay off your debts, that land would be returned to you. Now, there is some question whether Israel ever truly practiced uh, the year of Jubilee. Uh, It was not a good banker's holiday, so to speak. Um, But here on the Sabbath day, In his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus is announcing a never-ending year of jubilee. Jesus has come to forgive us our debts, to free us. He's come to bless us and he's come to send us out in the power of the Holy Spirit and to share God's favor with those who are poor and struggling and downtrodden and captive to all sorts of things. He's sending us out to live generously this never-ending year of Jubilee. What a message to get on the Sabbath day. Jesus unfurls a message to bless us and through us, to bless others. And then I love what happens next. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Look at this. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Like, what's he going to say? Right? I I mean, what's he going to do with this? And then I love the next verse. Verse 21, he began by saying to them, today this Hundreds year old scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop, right? Boom. Isaiah 61 just came true for all of you. Man. Now, sadly, this particular Sabbath worship uh, has a terrible ending. If Jesus would have stopped right there, things would have been great. Uh, but they, they kind of wanted to put Jesus in a box and he said some things that ruffled their feathers. You can read about it. And, and as far as they were concerned, this is, this, is, you know, this is Joseph's boy, we know him. We played little league here. Who does he think he is, the son of God? And, and the service that started so well ended very badly with synagogue members running Jesus out of town. Right? And sadly, we too can come here and miss the point. But that's why we need the Sabbath, right? I, I don't know about you. I, I love this quote that I read in our Reservoir book a, a, a few weeks ago from Dallas Willard. Disciples, followers of Jesus, he says, are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. What I, and I wrote in my journal was that phrase, constantly revising their affairs. I think one of the things that we do on the Sabbath... We rest to be sure. We celebrate God's goodness to be sure. But we also fix our eyes attentively on Jesus. We listen to what he says. We practice his holy rhythm so that we can constantly revise our plans based on the powerful truths that Jesus shares with us. So that next week can maybe be a little different from last week based on what we learn from Jesus today and what we'll do differently tomorrow. Now, I know you're saying, okay, well, what does this look like, right? And my main answer besides rest and worship is that the Sabbath day needs to feel different from other days. That's my main answer to you. It needs to feel different. And so I know some people that light a candle at sundown Saturday night to kind of get ready for the Sabbath. I know some people that give their uh, screens and devices a rest on the Sabbath. I know some people that go for walks, some people that play board games, some people that kind of cook fun meals together. You know, I don't want to make a new law for you about what the Sabbath day could be. I just want it to be a day for you that feels different, a day of rest, a day of celebration, and also a day of repentance and a day of renewal. You know, my preacher growing up had a lot of country sayings. Uh, and the one that I remember the most is when he, whenever he would say something controversial, right? After he had ruffled the feathers of the refined church members of Parkdale Baptist Church, he would look at us, kind of almost glare at us. And then he would say, well, if that rubs the fur the wrong way, then just turn the cat around. that's what Jesus did to the people in Nazareth he rubbed the fur the wrong way but sadly they were stiff-necked that's what the Bible says stiff-necked right stiff-necked is a person that can't repent they can't swivel they just keep going in a sinful direction But God has given us this day, one in seven, to stop, to rest, to get our bearings again, to repent, to turn the cat around, to revise our plans based on God's word, to receive God's favor and God's bounty. Thank you, Jesus, for the discipline of Sabbath. Help us follow you into it. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift. The Sabbath you said was made for men and women, boys and girls. Forgive us, Lord, when maybe in times past we distorted the Sabbath to make it a joyless day. Forgive us even more, Lord, when we've ignored your Sabbath. Help us, Lord, rediscover this gift. Resting, celebrating, repenting, following you in your mission to bless us and bless others through us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.